Welcome to First Importance, the official weekly sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of West Memphis, Arkansas. I am Pastor Josh Hall, and the following message is our second message in the series entitled Exiles, a study of the book of First Peter. I hope and pray that the Lord speaks to you today to this message, Purpose in Our Suffering. You know, age has a way of bringing perspective. As you get older, and as others have gotten older, the priorities have changed. Things that were once so incredibly important to someone after a few years has passed, sometimes those things aren't even in the top 10 list of priorities anymore. And I can see the apostle Peter looking back over his life. And everything must have seemed so upside down. His life had been a whirlwind. At the phase of life when he should have been settling in to his family and into his business, the family business of fishing, in comes Jesus. And everything about Peter and his life changes. He's uprooted and upended by the life and ministry and relationship he had with Jesus. And my friends, Jesus had his work cut out for him when it came to Peter, who was then called Simon. Peter was rough and gruff and brash and hot-tempered, the leap-before-you-look kind of guy, the act-and-talk-before-you-think-about-it kind of guy. He was always sticking his foot in his mouth, and none could match him in passion on the front end. But Peter often was like a flash in the pan. He was there for one moment and then his excitement, his fervor, gone. He often flaked. He was undependable. Jesus gave him a nickname. That's how you know when you've messed up as an adult. You get a nickname when you're a child, but if you've messed up as an adult, you get a nickname. Peter's name was Simon. That means to hear or to listen. That did not fit, and so Jesus said to him, uh, no, your name is Peter, or pebble, a small fragment of a rock. That's a little more fitting. And on the proclamation that Peter made, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus promised he would build his church. Peter failed more times than he got it right, We've read about it over and over in Scripture. Uh, what a blessing for believers uh, when we think about our own faulted lives to look and see that the New Testament and the Old Testament, none of it whitewashes the lives of believers. It's out there on display for everybody. Peter, who was the one who Jesus chose to lead the apostles after he left, was a man who was filled with flaws. As a matter of fact, he had been more of a mess up than any of the other disciples. He, there at the very end of Jesus's life, before he was crucified, Peter did the most unthinkable thing imaginable for someone who is supposed to be called a friend and a follower. He denied and cursed and abandoned Jesus all within earshot. I do not know that man. And yet, 
from the resurrection moving forward and from the moment that Peter saw Jesus ascend to heaven, he realized that this world was not his home and that as long as he was here, he was gonna live his life in such a way that he couldn't wait to be with Jesus on that day where his home really was. And so Peter looks back with this perspective and seeking to impart some wisdom to these young churches in Asia and in Asia Minor, he takes up his pen and paper and he begins to write this letter that we read today in 1 Peter. Today we'll read from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 1 through 2. Hear now the word of the Lord, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, and for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that now in these few moments that we have together, that you would speak through me. You know how weak I am, and you know my inability. So, Father, I pray that now, as your word is proclaimed, that your name might be magnified, that your spirit might convict your people of sin and draw them closer to you, that your spirit might draw those who are here today to saving faith in Christ Jesus. And I pray that today, Father, you use your word, your words written through your servant, the Apostle Peter, to us today to speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, here we are, only two messages into our study in 1 Peter, and we're already, we've already run into a word and a group of words that turn the evangelical world on its head. From the moment that these words are uttered that we've read today, people in their seats begin to squirm. I call them Baptist curse words. They're words that you bring up, everyone immediately begins to get uncomfortable. Uh, they bring up talks of Calvinism and Arminianism, none of which we as Bible-believing Christians want to have our name attached to. Above everything, we want to be followers of Jesus Christ and His Word. Amen? But the minute that these words are brought up, they bring uncomfortability. Those are the words, the word elect or chosen or the doctrine of election. Now, what is supposed to be a source of great comfort and strength for believers has, I think, through much misunderstanding or misapplication, become a point of contention and controversy. Uh, it would be the better part of wisdom for someone who wants to avoid conflict, to avoid these words altogether. However, as, a, as someone who has been called by God to proclaim his word and not mine, I have no free pass for you today, but we must handle every word rightly as God has placed before us. Simply put, the doctrine of election is that God wanted you and chose you. Can I get an amen, believer? Amen. 
that God wanted you and that God chose you. Though this, the scripture is abundantly clear. God's divine prerogative to show mercy on whom he will show mercy does not, however, negate the responsibility of the believer or of the human to respond to the call of the gospel. Uh, today, as we uh, talk about, or we'll talk about it briefly, as we look at the doctrine of election and of that word uh, chosen that is mentioned here, it is not a word that gives people a free pass to say, well, if I'm not one of the elect or if I'm not one of the chosen, how then, how could I possibly be held accountable? This is, this is not a, a subject on, on that. Uh, today, we're looking at this great privilege that the believer has that God wanted us first. God wanted you. Doesn't that bring you some comfort? Doesn't that bring you some joy? Have you ever been last in line? The one who no one's ever wanted to pick? That was me. Uh, Any sports in my life, that was me right? But God wanted me. He wants you today. And if you hear the sound of my voice and you want to respond to the call of Jesus, today you can repent of your sins and call upon Jesus as Savior and Lord, and he will save you and forgive you of your sins. Today we bring up that word, elect, to the elect exiles. Peter says, and I want us to see it underneath a little bit of a different uh, perspective. I think that this passage today covers not only God's choosing of our salvation, but also God's choosing of the path that we walk. God has chosen you and I for this moment that we live in. And all of its strangeness and all of the turmoil, God has chosen you for this hour. And so today, I want us to look at today some encouragement of how we can suffer with purpose, how we can walk as exiles with purpose in life. None of us want to suffer for no reason, right? To, to suffer and to go through difficulty with absolutely uh, no reason behind it, with no purpose behind it, the Bible says, and as Peter will tell us here today, uh, 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 as, as he writes down, influenced and carried about by the Holy Spirit to write these words to us today, he tells us that our suffering and that this walk in life, our salvation has purpose. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write down number one, Your suffering has purpose because we are known by the Father. Known by the Father. Look with me in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The Greek word is prognosis. That means to know beforehand. God the Father knew you before you were ever born. He knew you, and believer, he chose you before you were ever born. Amen? Amen. C.H. Spurgeon says, had he not known me and chosen me before I was born, he never would have done it after I was born. But Jesus, God the Father, the Bible says here, he knows you. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verses 4 through 5, speaking of Jeremiah, 
the Bible says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And where before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The psalmist says in Psalm 139 and verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance in, the, in your book were written my days, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Before you were born, before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, God knew you. He knew your every day before nations came into existence, before languages were first spoken, before stars, before planets, God knew you and he knew everyone one of your days, all of those things that are still out on the horizon that you don't know about yet, guess what? He knows. Amen. All of those things that you think you're going to get right, but you're probably going to get wrong, guess what? He knows, Amen. and he knew about it, all of it in advance. He's not learn about, learning about it in time with us. He knows us, and he chose us for this moment, for this time. Out of all the people who have ever lived on the face of the planet, God has chosen us for this time and this place to walk this journey that we are on. So when you begin to say to yourself, Josh, I feel awkward in this world. I can't possibly face this task that's ahead of me. I want you to know God has chosen you for this moment. Amen. There's no one who, hey, maybe there's a single mom in this room. Maybe there's some single mothers in this room. There's no one who can mother like you in this moment. Believer, if God has called you, he has chosen you for this moment. He's chosen you for this time. Dads, listen, dads who love the Lord, there's no one who can lead your family in this moment. And you say, Josh, I have no idea what to do. There's been no template written for the difficult times that we are in. God has made you for this moment. Josh, how do I live for Jesus in this difficult world? Look at all the questions we're having to ask. Look at all of the difficulties that are coming up in this world. God made you for this moment, and he put you here at this time, and he's equipping you and, and uh, uh, preparing you to use you in this time. God knew you beforehand, but not only did God know you beforehand, but he loved you beforehand. Hey. hey, listen, God loved you before you loved him, right? We love him, right? right. Believers, you love him, right? Yeah. Mm, that's not good. Hey, I'm asking you whether or not you love Jesus, right? <laughs> hey, he's watching. He's watching, okay? You love Jesus, right? Yeah. All right. It's getting a little bit better, all right? We'll crank you up, okay? You love Jesus. You chose Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, he put you in this moment, he put you in this time, right? And he loved you before you even loved him. He knew everything about you, everything. 
those things that you don't put on Facebook, he knows. Uh-oh. Those things you don't put on, those things that you don't share in prayer time or a friend of yours, got my friend, a friend of mine's going through this, right? God knows. Hey, God knows those things that you're ashamed of. He knows those areas in your life where you're deeply ashamed. He knows those things that you've yet not asked him for forgiveness of. And guess what? He loves you still. I think about that all the time. Uh, How could he possibly love me? How could he, he he knows me and he loves me. One day, First Baptist Church of West Memphis is going to say, man, Josh, we're fed up with you. You've got to get out. But you know who will never say that to me? Amen. Jesus. Amen. I was known before and loved before. And I'm not talking about some kind of piddly love, some type of uh, head back, uh, uh, smile across your face kind of love. No, I'm not talking about a box of chocolates kind of love. I'm not talking about uh, just a stay up late on the phone kind of love. What I'm talking about with this kind of love is an eternal, infinite love. Before I was even born, knowing all that I would do, knowing all that I would do after I repented of my sins and called upon him as Savior and Lord, he still loves us. You were known, you were loved before you were even born. Maybe you're saying, Josh, there's no way that he could forgive me or love me knowing what I've done. My friends, he knows everything you're going to do. And he offers that love, he offers that forgiveness to anyone today who will repent of their sins and call upon Jesus as Savior and as their Lord So, we are known by the Father. So, when you're going through times of struggle, and when you're going through difficult times, I want you to know that the Father has placed you here for a reason, for a time, for a purpose. Peter is telling this to a bunch of people who the the Roman Empire is beginning to hate them. They're beginning, and the The persecutions are just about to start pouring out on a massive scale. And he says to them, take great joy and encouragement, you elect exiles, that God knew about this before, and he's placed you here for this purpose. And it may not end up the way that you want it to. But guess what? He knew about it beforehand. He's got you right where he wants you. Somebody say amen. This week, whatever you're going through, believer, if you've repented of your sins and called upon Jesus as your Savior and Lord, God knows those difficulties in your life. The Father has known about it beforehand. But not only has he known about it beforehand, but number two, I want you to see in verse two, that he uses it to sanctify us. You can say sanctified by the Spirit in your notes. Known by the Father sanctified by the Spirit. Look with me in verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. God has done a wonderful thing in our salvation. 
The Father planned it. Jesus came. He purchased our salvation. The Holy Spirit applies that salvation to our life. Our sojourning in this time, our living in this world that is not our home while we wait upon the home that we are to go to with joy is a time where the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Sanctification is just that process by which God molds you into the image of his son, Jesus. He makes us to look like his son, Jesus. And here's what Peter's saying here. Our trials, the Lord uses our trials to help us to look more like him. The Holy Spirit uses this time of exile to sanctify us, to form us into the image of Jesus. James says in James chapter one, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet with trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There are two types of Christians in the world. There are a type of Christian, this is where most of us fall into, there's a type of Christian that when difficult things happen, we say, why me? Or our question is, why? And then there's a type of Christians who don't ask why, but they declare who? Who? God has allowed these things in my life to form me to mold me into the image of his son. That sanctification requires a a removal of sin. That's painful. That's all that we've known all of our lives. But once we become born again, that sin can't be at home in our lives anymore. So the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of our sin and remind us of our sin and bring us to repentance. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 9 through 11, the apostle Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Holy Spirit comes into the life of the believer and begins to say, that doesn't belong here. Right. That, that thought of greed, that lust that's built up in your heart, that doesn't belong here. Your body is a temple. It belongs to Jesus Christ now. That doesn't belong here. And the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of our sins and to remove our sins, to bring about repentance and a desire to shed those sins in our lives. Now listen, we are in a world that embraces all of the sins, all of it. Every creative way that you can sin, they embrace it. Okay, but we as believers who know that this world is not our home, while we are here, we're being sanctified and molded into the image of Jesus. Not only is the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin and bringing about repentance, but the Holy Spirit is producing righteousness. Any good work that the believer does does not find its origin in that believer. You know that, right? Do you ever look at a tree and did a branch ever look to you and say, look at this great apple that I made? 
right? Look at this great fruit that I have. No. Well, mainly because trees don't talk, right? Branches do not talk. But you know, you know where that came from. It came from the tree. Any good fruit from our lives, who does that come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from the Holy Spirit producing those works in, it, in us. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, no matter what you're going through in this life, no matter what suffering, no matter how strange you feel in this world, God has a purpose for it. And one of those purposes is that his Holy Spirit is transforming you into the image of his son, Jesus. You're not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but you're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds into that great image of Christ Jesus. So when you're going through difficult times, don't ask why. Say who? What did Job say? He lost everything that he had. He lost his health. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. And what did he say? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. Listen, I'm not saying this as a scolding or a slapping your hand. Because all of us have asked the question, why? And we've gotten bitter when bad things happen to us. And we've said, we don't deserve this. And we may feel as if we've not deserved it. But I want you to know this. God allows every trial and trauma that comes into your life to come into your life so that he can cultivate you into the image of his son, Jesus. Amen. And I can promise you, if you hold on right now in this temporary time, if you can hold on, you will see that it was all worth it. Amen. In heaven, you won't say, God, I can't believe you did this to me. Okay? You'll praise him for what he did in your life and how he saved you. We're known by the Father. We're sanctified by the Spirit. Thirdly, we see the Trinity in action. We're set apart for the Son. Look with me in verse 2 again. According to the we're elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. And listen, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Our pilgrimage, our sojourning on this earth where we don't feel like we fit in has a purpose in that it sets us apart as an inheritance for the Son. A lot of questions about what's going to be in heaven. All I know is this, Jesus is going to be there. Amen. Jesus is going to be there. And he's who I want to serve. He's who I want to see. He's the one who forgave me of my sins against him. He's the one who gave me a new life. He's the one that I want to be with. We have been set apart for the son. He is our inheritance and we are his inheritance. Notice here the pattern. What the father has planned and the spirit has empowered is now laid down at the feet of Jesus to the glory of God the father. Amen. This temporary pilgrimage that we're on has this grand purpose of setting us apart, not only sanctifying us, but setting us apart for the Son. Notice what he says first here, for obedience to Jesus Christ. You were saved 
for something. You were not saved by good works. You were saved for good works. He has saved you for something. Those people who claim to possess Jesus Christ but possess no fruit in their life of Jesus living there are fooling themselves. Jesus says, he who loves me is he who obeys me, right? He who obeys me, that's the person who truly loves me. Jesus says in John chapter 10, in verses 27 through 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you belong to the Lord Jesus during the times of suffering and trials of this life, you can hold on to this great promise and this great truth that God has allowed these moments to produce obedience in you. Now, it's easy to obey when you're asked to do things that you want to do, right? When you tell me to do something that I want to do, it's easy to obey. It's when God asks you to do things that go against what your flesh wants, that it becomes difficult. And during times of trial is when you get to show who you really love. And believers, generally, the ones that we really love, when we reveal it in those moments, are ourselves. We love ourselves. We hold on to our sin and we say, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please, again, Lord, please forgive me. But every time we choose our sins over him, what do we choose? We choose ourselves. This moment that we've been given, this brief moment on earth that we have been given has been given to us so that we could be set apart for the Son. Ephesians 2, 8. Through 10 says that by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hey, the trials that have been put in your life, this time that has been put in your life, has been given as an opportunity for obedience. So church, be Obedient, friends, be obedient. But not only does he say for obedience, but for the sprinkling with blood. Now, this is a little foreign to us to hear this. Perhaps if you're familiar with the Old Testament, it makes a little more sense. You may think about the sacrifices that were made in the temple and at the tabernacle. Sacrifices were made, and traditionally, some of the blood of the lamb or of the ox or the ram that was shed for sins or that was shed before the Lord in the temple or at the tabernacle, some of that blood was taken and it was placed upon the altar that was nearby. There are only three instances in the Old Testament where that blood is placed on people. Can I share those with you? I'm going to, all right? There are only three times when that happens. The first time is in Exodus chapter 24. God's brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He saved them through all of these plagues that he has put upon Egypt. He has brought Israel out. He brought them through the Red Sea. He now has them at Mount Sinai. And he has given his commandments to Moses. And Moses goes down before the people and he reads to them all of the commandments. And all of God's people hear these commandments and they say, what you've said is good. All that the Lord has said, we will do. We will obey it. All of it. So they make sacrifices. 
And Moses takes some of that blood and he sprinkles it on those who are there. It's the establishment of a covenant, the relationship between God and his people there at Mount Sinai. It's the covenant of the law. The second time that it happens is at the ordination ceremony of Aaron and his sons as priests in Exodus chapter 29 and in verse 21. Aaron is about to become the first uh, high priest of his order, and Moses is going to set him apart, and so he brings him in front of the tabernacle, and he cleans him, and he dresses him in the priestly robes, and he takes some of that sacrifice, of the blood of that sacrifice, and he places it upon Aaron and upon his sons, and they are now consecrated to be the priests who take sacrifices before the Lord and represent the nation of Israel before the Lord. There's a third time this happens. It happens just a couple of chapters later in Exodus and then in Leviticus chapter 14 in verses 6 through 7. It's when someone has leprosy and they've been healed of their leprosy and they come back to the high priest or to the priest to have a cleansing ceremony. And when he comes back from this deadly disease, the priest will take some of the blood of a sacrifice and will place it on them. Now listen to this. You and I have entered into a relationship with the Lord through his son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. You and I have been set apart as a kingdom of priests who, who are those who can come before him with our prayers day and night through any difficulty that we're going through. We've been called as a, as a kingdom of priests. Amen? Amen? And then thirdly, we have been forgiven of our sins and our uncleanliness. Peter says here, for the sprinkling with blood, that means we have been set apart. And those who are set apart cannot look like all of those who are not set apart. Peter says here in this time of your exile, you're going to look different. It's going to feel strange. You're not going to feel at home. As a matter of fact, you get saved today, you ask Jesus to come into your life, you repent of your sins and call upon Jesus as Lord, you go back home and things at home are going to feel different. If you go back to a home where people are lost, things are going to feel really different. Your life is going to dramatically change. Why? Because we don't feel at home here anymore. This world is not our home. We've been known by the Father. We've been sanctified by the Spirit, and we've been set apart for the Son. Peter's an older man when he writes this book, and it must have seemed strange to him looking back over time. How has life changed so quickly? Now, the Bible does not record his death Church historians are, have a broad view of what happened. Somewhere around 64 AD, Rome burnt to the ground. Nero blamed the Christians, and the first people he came to were Peter and Paul. It said, this is not from the Bible, this is just tradition. It said that Peter was in Rome. Some of his friends had heard that Nero had a plan to imprison and to kill him. And so they helped sneak him out of Rome. And as he was leaving, it said that Jesus appeared to him and said, where are you going? And Peter remembered that call upon his life, how he had denied Jesus so many times. It said he went back into Rome, and Nero and his 
armies took Peter and imprisoned him. And it's said that they crucified Peter upside down. They're going to crucify him and Peter said, I can't be, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way that my Savior was crucified. Amen. He was crucified upside down. And by the way, how much like Peter would that be? Peter dies on that cross. I don't know that he died upside down, but it makes sense. Because ever since Jesus came into his life, the world was upside down anyways. Amen. And he knew what direction he was going. He knew who, whom he was going to. He was foreknown by the Father. He was sanctified by the Spirit. He was set apart for the Son. My question for you today is this. Who do you live your life for? I hope and pray that this message was a blessing to you. If you would like to know more about following Jesus or know more about our ministries here at First Baptist Church of West Memphis, I would like to encourage you to visit our website at www.fbcwmem.org. Remember, here at First Baptist Church of West Memphis, we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. See you next week.